I want to thank the worship team for doing such a wonderful job of leading us in worship this morning. My heart is full, maybe a bit too full to be able to deliver the sermon today, so be uh, patient with me and tolerant. Uh, we had that Christmas concert yesterday, and the Lord was there, and I think the Lord is here this morning as well. And so I want to say to you, as I always say, good morning, beloved in the Lord. So my name is Bill Smith. I'm a member of the teaching team here at New Hope Chapel. I, am, I don't like to brag, but I'm the fourth alternate to the third backup on the teaching team. <clears throat> I used to be fifth alternate, so I'm getting up there. So. so last week we wrapped up our study of James, and while Steve was speaking, I was naturally also thinking what I would talk about this week or how I would talk about it. About two months ago or so, Steve asked me if I would like to speak today, and I always say yes to Steve because he's a lot bigger than me, and, um, and, and, I, and I love him so dearly. And uh, what I didn't think through is normally there's an assignment to speak on something. But he said, I said, what do you want me to speak on? He said, whatever you want to. And I said, okay. So I've been about, down about 17 different rabbit trails. <laughs> I thought, I'll just speak on what I spoke on last year. Remember my sermon from last year? Yeah. <laughs> So you're dismissed. (laughs) And I had some ideas. I sat down with Julie and and bounced some ideas off of her. And being who she is and such a wonderful encourager, she listened to all those ideas and and thought they were all wonderful. So she was absolutely no help at all. (laughs) But uh, we were uh, were on James, if you remember, and we, we took James right into the Advent season. And so... Uh, As Steve was teaching on James 5 last week, uh, James 5.13 caught my attention. And he starts out, as anyone here is sick, call the elders, if anyone here is cheerful, he should sing praises. And I thought, there's the hook, there's the connection, the transition to this week. And so the question to you is, is there anyone here who is cheerful? Yeah. What are you so cheerful about? Well, it's Christmas. It's Advent. There's something to be cheerful about. How would you describe this term Christmas to someone who's never experienced it before? We could probably say a lot of things like, well, it's a holiday, but it's also a season. It's a celebration, but it's also a time of remembrance. Christmas is about keeping of a promise, about fulfillment of a plan, a prediction that was made 1,400 years earlier. Christmas is about a child. It's about an infant. It's about God submitting himself to the care of a young girl. Christmas is also about miracles and signs and wonders. It's about shepherds and magi and angels. Christmas is about love and hope and peace. It's about goodwill and good news. Christmas is about joy. It's about selflessness. It's about caring for others and loving on others. Christmas is a time of of gentleness, of forgiveness, and of healing. And Christmas is of decorations and color and music and singing. The Prince of Peace is here. The King of Kings has arrived. The gentle Lamb of God is born. Our Savior has come. Our protector, our defender, our provider is here with us now. And he's a baby. Christmas is three songs 
and Christmas is three gifts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. I pray that our minds would be open to receive knowledge and our hearts would be open to gain understanding and wisdom that we would be different somehow for hearing this message in your word. Be with us now. Fill our hearts with love. For it's in Jesus' name we pray and for his sake. Amen. Announcements of pregnancy quite often produce great happiness in the family, especially when the pregnancy was planned or hoped for. But I've always noticed men and women seem to differ on average about how they react to this news. Women burst with joy when she learns she's with child. When she tells the other women in her life, they become unhinged with joy for her. Men, on the other hand, receive this information a little differently. The man thinks, look what I did. (laughs) Quite proud of himself. If he tells his friends, the other men sort of give a restrained smile and say congratulations and then say, well, you want to play golf this weekend? I mean, that's about all we get from the men. He thinks about his virility, his strength. But if he goes into the delivery room with her, he finds out about real strength. Christmas is about an old priest named Zechariah. Zechariah was taking his turn serving in the temple when the angel Gabriel appeared before him to tell him he was going to have a child. This is perhaps the first, if not the only time, the man knew about his wife's pregnancy before she did. And so we read in Luke 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a great joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Now, if Zechariah had been a woman... There would have been screaming and laughing and crying. But instead, he questions the message. He asks, how can I know this is true? And for opening his mouth to express unbelief, his mouth is closed until the time of John's birth. I've been thinking a lot about Zachariah's response. How can this be true? It's like I need a sign. Have you ever had words come flying out of your mouth the moment you said them, you wished you didn't have the ability to speak? We've all done that, right? (laughs) I'm hoping that's what happened to Zechariah. All we know is he just seemed to need a sign. Now, if I was Gabriel, I would be like, really, Zechariah? I just appeared out of nowhere. You almost passed out. I'm standing here glowing like a fire, and yet you still need a sign. Isn't this enough for you? How can this be true? That's the same question that I was asking before I came to know the Lord. I suspect some of you asked that same question. Can this really be true? And since I've come to know the Lord and been walking with him now for 40 years, there have been various signs and urgings that I should be doing a certain thing or a certain thing was going to happen. And I still asked, how do I know this is going to be true? But just to encourage you, one of the things I've noticed over the years is that I seem to ask that question less and less. And we all tend to grow, even though we don't know what's going on. The Lord is transforming us. And so 
He is working in our lives and continuing to build us up in our ability to trust him. So, of course, we know that Zechariah was thinking about his and Elizabeth's old age. So I'm thinking, well, if you already think you're past your prime, then why have you been praying for a child? Why are you praying for something you don't think you can actually have? And so he goes back home, and when the time of service was completed, he returns home, and this is his wife, Elizabeth. And when she becomes pregnant, she goes into seclusion for five months. So what the angel said was going to be true happened. The unexpected is now expecting. Christmas is about an old woman named Elizabeth. And realizing that she's with child at her old age, she sings a song or says a prayer. They're the same thing to me. She says, the Lord has done this for me. The Lord has done it. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. Elizabeth bears a son who normally would have been named John, or who was to be named John, and everyone there was confused when she said that's his name because normally in their culture you would name the son either after the father or someone in the family. And so they motion to Zechariah, and he grabs a tablet and writes, his name is to be John. But we still do this today. I'm a junior. I have my father's name. That's how creative my parents were, William Smith Jr., I gave my first name to my son, Josh, Joshua William. My oldest grandson, Liam, is named after both of his grandfathers, who are both Williams. Liam's real name is William David Clement. So we still do this today, but this is something that's going to be different now. We're not going to follow the culture. We're going to name him John. And so once Zechariah writes that down, his name is to be John, his tongue is loosed. And Zechariah then has a song. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say, and he prophesies, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, my child, you will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And sometime later, Gabriel then goes to visit Mary after he had visited Zechariah. It was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, it says in Luke, that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of a greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you 
are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now you might notice that Gabriel seems to treat Mary a bit differently than Zechariah. They both seem to question Gabriel's message. But Zechariah seems to pay a penalty for doing so. However, if we study it a bit closer, we'll see the reactions weren't actually the same, nor were their situations the same. See, when Zechariah says, how can I be sure of this? He's actually expressing doubt. But when Mary says, how can this be? She's expressing curiosity. Like, how will this work? It's not that I don't believe it. It's just I'm not sure how the mechanics of this is going to work out. In addition, Zechariah was a priest. He knows the scripture. And although he mentions his age as a concern, he's actually doubting God's ability to have an elderly couple conceive, even though God had already demonstrated his ability to give an older couple a child. When did he do that? Abraham and Sarah. Don't you think Zechariah would have known that? He should have known it. That's why he's expressing doubt. Mary, on the other hand, is a young woman, probably in today's standards, a young girl. Mary's question is actually a legitimate question. How can this be? How is this going to happen? And the reason for that is there is no precedent in Scripture prior to Mary where God had a woman conceive without being with a man. There's no precedent. So naturally, she's wondering how this is going to all come about. She's curious. And so the next thing you know, it says Mary is off to visit with her cousin Elizabeth. She didn't know Elizabeth was pregnant because Elizabeth was in seclusion. And the moment she finds out, she takes off to go visit with her cousin. See, Mary finds out from Gabriel her cousin's miraculously pregnant, so she would be thinking we're both pregnant. It both, we're both miraculously pregnant. Her husband talks, talks nonstop about Zechariah. I met Gabriel. He met Gabriel. I'm going to go talk to Elizabeth. And so she takes off. And Mary's mere arrival generates a reaction that seals it for Mary. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. If you set this scene right and read this carefully, Elizabeth doesn't even see Mary. She just hears her voice, and she has this reaction. And not only does Elizabeth have the reaction, but a baby in the womb has a reaction. And some say life doesn't start until after birth. We read Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to dwell in anyone who believes on his name. 
He's indwelling us now if you've received him. But prior to the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit in, in indwelling people was highly selective and it was temporary in order to serve God's purpose. He indwelled people who lived by faith, but his, his presence there apparently wasn't permanent. That's why we read in Psalm 51, Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me, and cast me not away from my presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He seemed to indwell one person every few decades or hundred years. However, in the story around the birth of Jesus, we see several people being filled with the Holy Spirit at the same time. We see Elizabeth and Mary, John the Baptist while still in the womb, Simeon in the temple, Anna the prophet. On top of that, angels are appearing to Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. This is a unique time in history. In fact, they started the calendar all over again at this point in history. Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit for the purpose of confirming to Mary who she really is and what is really going to happen. And Mary is so moved by this experience that she sings praises to God. And she says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. For now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. To generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Christmas is also three gifts. So meanwhile, while this is happening, about a thousand miles away, a large group of very smart people began packing up and preparing for a long journey. They're referred to as the wise men, and they were heading west towards Jerusalem. Now, tradition holds there were three wise men, but we don't know that there were three. Because there was three gifts, there's an assumption of three wise men. I think there were a lot more than three, and here's why I think that. <laughs> They were called magi, kingmakers, well-learned, quite clever, possessing much wisdom. And the reason they were still in existence is because of Daniel. If you remember last year, Scott can tell you, I talked about this last year. <laughs> remember quickly the story of Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he wanted it interpreted. But they said, tell us a dream. And he said, no, you have to tell me the dream and its interpretation. Well, none of them could do it. And so the king ordered all the magi magicians, it means something different then, were to be killed. And the, the man that was going to kill them goes in and Daniel finds out and he asks, let me go in and, and take a shot at this. And of course, what we find out is Daniel not only know, he, you know, interprets it, but he knows what the dream is. And as a result, Daniel saves the lives of all the magi. Not only does he save their lives, but he's put in charge of them. He's over them. Now, if I was a magi... I would not resent him being put over me because, after all, he's also a savior. And so what did most likely Daniel start doing? He would have taught them about what he is, his God and his interpretations of dreams. That's what he would have taught them. And they would have probably continued to study that, especially 
chapter 9 of Daniel, what we call chapter 9 anyway, where he predicts the arrival of a special person. And they'd been passing down this prophecy for about 490 years. Now here's the question I have for you. If you were one of the Magi at this time, knowing that your people have been studying this for about close to 500 years, and we're all concluding based upon what's happening that this special person, this special king is arriving, and then somebody asks, who wants to go? Wouldn't you want to go? You know, I think the exact number of magi that showed up would be the exact number of the magi who were living in Kurdistan at the time. They would have all gone. It would have been a great big, long caravan of people with soldiers protecting them, going there to Jerusalem. And by the way, they didn't visit Jesus in a stable. I hate I hate to keep tearing apart all our wonderful manger scenes. <laughs> but Matthew 2.11 points out, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And as I've said before, I think this is the same house Jesus was born in among Joseph's, Joseph's family. The more accurate translation of she laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn would be there was no room for them in the guest room. It's another mistranslation problem. So being experts in astronomy, among other disciplines, they would have likely converted Daniel's predictions into future positions of celestial bodies. What's interesting to me is that the Jews had these same scriptures in their hands. They knew the writing of Daniel and his prophecies, and yet they weren't looking for the coming Messiah at that time. I don't know why. Perhaps they didn't care or didn't try or didn't want to understand. It may have also been that the rabbis argued so much over the interpretation that the whole idea of timing got lost in the shuffle. And the Jews, by the way, did have a habit of dismissing their prophets. I think that's why God set Daniel up and set up his prophecy to teach over the Magi so that he could protect protect the prophecy somewhere else. They traveled a great distance through dangerous lands to give this child three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You all know about that. But why these gifts, we might ask? Who even knows what frankincense and myrrh are anyway? Historians and theologians believe that the Magi presented Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh because these were traditional gifts to give to a king or to deity. So the question isn't why these particular gifts. The question for me is why did they think that this child would be a king? Well, again, we must go back to Daniel to consider what he must have taught the Magi. He certainly would have taught them about his visions and dreams. And in Daniel 7, we read about his vision of the four beasts and the judgment. And then we read, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze, a river of fire flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is the one that will never be destroyed. So the prophecy in Daniel 9 is about the timing of the arrival 
of that king to whom would be given all authority, glory, and sovereign power, that they traveled such a long distance to give these gifts only to a king is therefore significant. They were way out of their normal sphere of influence. Notice they didn't hang around long to try to ingratiate themselves to this king. They returned home quickly. By the way, there's another reason I connect Daniel to the Christmas story and the Magi. If you have one of those Bibles where you can look stuff up on your phone, type in the word Gabriel. The angel appeared to Gabriel, and the angel appeared to Zechariah. I mean, Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and to Mary. If you search Gabriel, you're only going to see him in one other place in Scripture. You're going to see him in Daniel. There was three times when Daniel had visions that were so overwhelming, he began to faint and pass out. And Daniel hears a voice say, Daniel, help this man understand. So Daniel's job as an angel must be the one who explains God's plan to people. So if we go back to Zechariah, and Zechariah says, how can I know this to be true? The angel says, I am Gabriel. That's all he needed to say if Zechariah knew who Gabriel was. Because who was Gabriel? This is the one who explains deep things that only God understands and so that man could know. Gabriel gives clarity. Christmas is clarity. Christmas is an adventure. Christmas is prophecy. Christmas is a rescue. Christmas is a new beginning. Christmas is the word becoming flesh. Christmas is God no longer waiting for man to reach out to him. Christmas is God's turn to make things right by him reaching out to man. And God is reaching out to you. He's calling you. He's calling you because he wants to give you something. That's right. He wants to give you something. And you don't have to wait until Christmas to open his gift. Now, I don't want to spoil it for you, but I will give you a hint. His gift has something to do with being made whole, of being set free. It has something to do with abundant life and living without fear. It has something to do with being reassured that you are loved and that you will never be in need. It has to do with finally knowing who you really are. And it has something to do with being at peace. If you're wondering which gift under the tree is from God, it's easy to spot. You see, the gift that he purchased for you cost him so much, he didn't have anything left to buy wrapping paper. So he wrapped his gift in strips of cloth, in swaddling clothes. And before you receive his gift, be warned. It can't be returned and it can't be exchanged. But don't worry, though, he's a perfect fit. He's what you've always needed. He's what you've always wanted. But you just didn't know it. See, Christmas is permanent. And it was all for you. Merry Christmas. Let us pray as the music team comes up. 
Father, we thank you for the gift of your son. We thank you for giving everything you had in order to come rescue us from ourselves, from our real enemy. We pray, Lord, in this time of celebration and remembrance that we think of you often and what you did for us. We pray, Lord, you would continue to touch our hearts and our minds and fill us full. Our hearts would be so overflowing with love that there's room for nothing else. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.